You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Don't you just love Evelyn? Like, how many of you would play checkers with Evelyn right now if you could? Yeah. I want to be very clear. I would not take it easy on her. I don't think she needs me to. She might whoop me. Like, I think she's probably going to cheat, honestly. Like, she's just, she's going to make it happen. Uh, I just, man, I love her. I, when I watched that, I wonder if there's something in the name, okay? Because when I watched that video, um, it made me think of, of Evelyn Swanson or Evelyn Fusen, as many of us may have known her. Um, at, at the time of her death two years ago, Evelyn was uh, the, the longest attending member of our church. Uh, and uh, she passed away two years ago now. But she was like just the kindest like warmest person. And, and like the Evelyn in that video, she had that same um, purposeful attitude, you know? Like as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm gonna contribute something. I'm not just gonna be a taker. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a giver. And did you catch what, for Evelyn in the video, did you catch what that something was? She said, I don't, I don't have much money, but I can give myself. I can give myself and I can give my time, she said. And uh, she chose to invest that time in her neighbor, Joyce, and, and to be a friend. And I thought, I watched that video, and I, and I thought, how much better would our world be? Or maybe let's, let's just make it a little more personal, right? How much better would our lives be if we were that intentional and if, if we lived with that kind of attitude? Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Somebody needs a friend. (laughs) I kind of struggled, to be honest, where to go this week. Um, The 21 days of prayer and fasting was powerful for me. Uh, I think it was for most of us. Last week was like the icing on the cake, right? If you missed out last week, you missed out. I mean, it it was pretty awesome. If you were watching online, hopefully it came through the camera. I never quite know what the experience is like at home, but we we had the baptisms, which I forgot. I was so excited about. I apparently decided to leave up for another week. (laughs) totally forgot this was still on the stage till this morning so if you're here and need to be baptized the water will be ice cold but we can make it happen um we had baptisms we had uh you know uh testimonies all these kinds it it was awesome we were packed by the way we're pretty full today as well but uh last sunday was the fullest we've been in in two years besides like a easter you know or, or a christmas um and like that's with this whole variant spike in COVID cases, right? I know tons of people who are sick. So do you, right? You watch it at home today. You might be home because you're not feeling well. So if you took, if you took the COVID piece out, we would, we would be in trouble. Like we would be overflowing. Um, that's a problem I'll take. Like I pray for those kinds of problems. Lord, give, give us that problem. Uh, We'll start another service. We'll knock down walls. Like we'll do whatever we have to do. Uh, I'll, I'll take that problem. But as I stood on the platform last Sunday, I helped with worship, so I was able to kind of look out. And then as I sat on the front row and I listened to many of you come up and share, something hit me. And 
<laughs> forgive me for being slow, because you, you already know this, right? I'm a little slow. My dad used to say things like, uh, you know, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know? He didn't say that to me. Some of you were like, some of you were like, oh, no, he was a good dad. Like, he, he wouldn't make fun of me. He just had these sayings, you know, like, yeah, sharp, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, what was it? Not the brightest bulb in the pack. You've heard these? someone said these to you at one point, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, uh, was it? A, a, a couple cards short of a full deck. He would say, we like to play cards, you know. So he had these sayings. So however, however you want to say it, forgive me for being slow to realize what most of you have already been experiencing. And that's that we're a new church. This is a new church. Uh, take a second and look around. Like seriously turn your body. Don't look at the person just next. Look in front of you. Look behind you. Look. Maybe even looked on the stage earlier during worship. It's like, who are all these people? Right? And who invited them? Where did they come from? Have you felt that at all recently? Have you, have you left church on a Sunday and going like, I don't even know who half of these people are? If you felt that, like, I just, I'm naming it. it like, it's okay. I've, I've felt that most weeks since we reopened um, in, in fall of 2020. I, I've, almost every week I sit at my desk and I ask those questions. Lord, who are all these people? And, and who invited them here? Because I didn't, you know, I've invited a couple of them, the ones I liked. I don't know about the rest of them, you know, and, and I'd sit there and have this conversation with God. And so I sat there on the front row last Sunday and I felt like, I can't explain it. It wasn't audible. Okay. God doesn't talk to me that way usually, but I felt like God gave me two answers. He said, Mike, these people are Mountain View Church and I invited them here. Um... So I want to I just call out the elephant in the room today. I, I wrote three sermons this week. I might use the other two someday. I kept cha- I was like, no, nah, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, God, nope, that's not what God wants me to talk about. So I, wanna, I just want to call out the elephant in the room. We are not the same church today as we were two years ago or even six months ago. And for some of us, that's really difficult, especially if we've been around Mountain View for a long time. If this has been your church for a long time, it's, it's, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of new people, a lot of new faces, and that's unsettling. I, I've told several people, um, I think I've pastored three different churches in the last six years, and I've been at Mountain View for all of those. <laughs> and you're laughing. That's funny. It's not funny. It's hard. It's really hard. It's difficult. Uh, it's just the nature of change sometimes, right? Churches change, people change, people come and go. Often with new people, there's a shift in DNA and, and the culture. You know what culture is? Culture is the way a place feels. Uh, it's, it's, you can't put your finger on it, but it's like this is just what you either like or don't like about a place or a restaurant or whatever. The culture changes as people change. And the hard part about this current shift is this wasn't something that any of us chose, Right? Sometimes like as a staff or, or pastors, we'll get away and go, okay, what do we want to change? How do we want to shift our congregation? What do we want to ask God to do? This wasn't one of those. We didn't plan anything. We didn't choose anything. Um, I mean, how, how many of you had, you know, global pandemic, 
extreme political division, murder hornets, and an ice storm on your 2020 bingo card. Did all, like, you're like, oh, I had all of this figured out. Like, none of us did. It just happened. It just happened. And we don't like change as it is, but we really don't like change that we can't control and that we didn't choose. And so it's been hard, and we may still feel a little uneasy, honestly, about all of the changes and all of the new faces. But we made it. We made it. If you're still a part of this church and you've been a part of this church long, if you're still with us, I do not say this lightly. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Honestly, if you're not with us, I still love you. Like, you, you probably aren't hearing this. Maybe you'll watch the video or something. I, don't, I have zero animosity in my heart. Uh, God has given me such a peace about the last two years as far as who's here and who's not and what's happened. Like, I think everybody just did what they had to do to survive. I think everybody did the best they could with like way too many pieces of information. We all had to be experts at things none of us know anything about. Like it's been, it, it's been ridiculous. And so people did what they had to do to make it through a super hard season. And I'm cool with that. Like that's just where I'm at. But we made it. We've survived. And Mountain View Church has survived. That isn't the same for every church. I could tell you churches that are closed. I could tell you pastors who have quit, lots of them. I could tell you churches that have been ripped apart. But we've survived. And we're a little bit like, like the first group of exiles that came back to Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember this. When we reopened our building in the fall of 2020, uh, we did a series looking at the book of Nehemiah. Do any of you remember this? Half of you weren't here. You're like, no, I don't, because I wasn't there. Right? We, did a, we, did, we reopened our building with a series in Nehemiah, which I called Rebuilding. I thought it was really witty, and most of you didn't agree, but I thought it was great. And so we did this series in the book of Nehemiah. And if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, okay, Nehemiah is an Old Testament. Basically, Israel was in exile, which is basically they, they were taken out of their homeland. God had removed his hand of favor and protection from the people of Israel because they continued to disobey and, and, and disrespect the Lord. And, and so he said, if you keep doing that, I'm going to let the nations around you do what they do. And, and so he removed his hand of protection. The Babylonians come in. They drag God's people away from Jerusalem. And for 70 years, okay, you thought the last two years were hard? For 70 years, they live in exile which is this condition of, you know, being in this foreign land with new cultures, new religions, new beliefs and customs, and they have to just make it. And they do make it. And finally, they get back to Jerusalem, okay? They, they get permission to go home. And that, this is the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is all about rebuilding Jerusalem. And so they get back there and Nehemiah gets word of how things are going. He's still in Babylon. He, he gets a messenger comes to him and tells him how it's going back in Jerusalem. Okay, and here, here it is in Nehemiah chapter one. Be here on the screen. You can find it in your Bible. You can go to the Bible app, wherever you want to find it. But Nehemiah chapter one says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So he's still in, this, that's Babylon. He's still in Babylon. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, that's Jerusalem, with some other men. And so I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, the ones who were left, that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. 
They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, there's a word that shows up twice there that stood out to me this week. We, again, we preached through this just like two years ago, but this, this time I read it and it, was, it, it hit different. You ever experienced that? You're like, I've read this passage a bunch of times, but today it's God is using it to say something different to me. That's the power of scripture, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. So I'm reading this passage and, and there's a word that's used twice there that stood out to me. It said, they survived. Do you see that in there? Twice. They survived. Again, 70 years of exile, decades they've been exiled, but they made it. They survived. They're on the other side now. But was survival the goal? I thought about that. Was that what God wanted? Just for them to come out the other side and and have made it and have survived? Or, Or was God bigger than that? And it reminded me, I was driving in Salem a couple weeks ago and I pulled up behind a box truck at this traffic light and it was a, a, a furniture delivery truck for a, a well-known furniture store in our area. If I said the name, you would know it. And so I pull up to the stoplight and there's this box truck and there's this huge yellow bumper sticker on the back that says, safety is our number one goal. Safety is our number one goal. And I thought, Really? Is that true? Is, is that really true? I mean, I understand why they put that on their vehicles and why like semis, you know, put stickers like that. It's, it's to encourage their drivers to be cautious when they get behind the wheel. And hopefully the driver will see that and go, oh yeah, yeah, I need to be safe today. And, uh, you know, every company wants to have a reputation of being a safe workplace. And, be, you know, I get all of that. that. That's fine. But that's not really their number one goal, Right? Their, their number one goal is to sell as much overpriced furniture as possible <laughs> because they're a business that needs to make money. That's what businesses need to do. <laughs> their goal is to sell furniture and then like to deliver it to as many living rooms as possible. That's their number one goal. It's not to be safe. And honestly, who gets out of bed in the morning and says, I'm going to dedicate my entire day to the goal of staying safe. That is a lousy vision for your life. That's a lousy vision for your company. Like, can you imagine that? That should be Mountain View, Mountain View Church. Our number one goal, to stay safe. <laughs> Who wants to go to a church like that? That's not their number one goal. And I think that's where the people are at in Nehemiah chapter one. They've survived. They've stayed alive. That's great. But, but God's vision was better than that. It was way better than that. In fact, the vision that God had for his people is found in, in a verse, a scripture that um, a lot of us have heard before and, and maybe even memorized. And to be honest, it's probably the one verse in the Bible we use out of context more than any passage I've ever heard. We just throw this on stuff. Yeah, you're graduating. Boop, here you go. You know, we just throw this verse on everything. You got to understand the context is of exile. The context is 70 years of, of exile for Israel. And, and here's what God says. This is in Jeremiah 29, 11. You heard this one? This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you 
plans to give you a hope and a future. Realize when you write that on a graduate's card, realize what you're saying. Like, you're going to have 70 years of wilderness. It's going to be brutal. But then God's going to show up and do something cool in your life, right? Like, just, just be careful how you use this verse. This is God's word to Israel. It's God's word to us too, right? All of scripture. But, but just understand what's happening here, the larger historical context of this passage. There's a huge gap of vision. The people are back in Jerusalem. They're just happy to be alive. We made it. Woo! And God's like, yeah, but my, my plan wasn't just that you would survive. My plan is that you would thrive. And the word that is used in that passage is prosper. That you would prosper. The Hebrew there is the word shalom. You've heard that word probably. It doesn't just mean peace. It means, peace. It, it means wholeness. It means that everything is as it should be. Everything is right. Everything is good in the world. That's God's vision for, for our life. It's God's vision for his creation, that it would be in perfect peace. It would be complete and whole. Shalom. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that after the 70 years of passing, you're back. I'm gonna bring shalom to your life. How do we get there? After you survive trauma and you're exhausted and you're just happy to make it, how do you go from surviving to thriving? That's the question I'm asking for our church right now. It's the question I'm asking for myself. Psychologists use different terms to talk about these things. Um, There's a spectrum of mental health. And so if you, if you picture mental health on, on a scale, right, on, on a spectrum, on one end of the spectrum is, is mental disorder. That's the red on, on the spectrum. And uh, that would be, you know, clinical depression. That, that, would be, that would be a mental illness, right, where we're burned out. We're over life. We, we don't even want to get out of bed. Surviving feels impossible when you're depressed. That in itself is, a, is, is the task before you. How do you make it? through the day. Okay, that's one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, you have flourishing. You see that in the green? And that word stood out to me. That's, that's part of our vision statement as a church, that we would grow whole followers of Jesus for the flourishing of the whole community. Isn't that a better vision than like staying safe? <laughs> that's part of our vision, that people would flourish but flourishing is like all systems go in your life. Mental, physical, relational, spiritual, like everything is firing on all cylinders. That is human flourishing. That is the peak. Look at all that space in between the two. And according to that bell curve, right, most people live in between, somewhere between depression and flourishing. It's what Adam Grant calls the neglected middle child of mental health. Apologies to you middle children. The neglected middle child is not my term of mental health. And, and the term psychologists often use to describe that place in life is languishing. Languishing. You know what languishing is? Languishing is, languishing is not, you're not clinically depressed, but you're also not firing in all cylinders. You're, you're unmotivated. You're exhausted. If languishing was a sound or a single word, it would be blah. (laughs) Anybody feeling blah? 
Yeah. I think most... I think, I think languishing describes not just a lot of us as individually, but maybe like our entire society and nation. We're just kind of stuck, exhausted. That's where the Israelites were when they got home. They're home. They had made it. They had survived, but they weren't flourishing. And the question is, how do you move that way? That's the question we should all be asking when we look at charts like this. We find ourselves on the chart and they go, okay, but how do, I, how do I get over that hump and then onto the other side? And Adam Grant in that New York Times article, he gave all kinds of great suggestions, things that you should try, by the way, if you're feeling depressed or languishing, things like you know, finding a new hobby and uh, going on an extended vacation, hopefully somewhere with some sunshine this time of year so you can get some vitamin D. That's a huge problem for us Oregonians. Um, good things, right? Those are great things. Those, those, you should do whatever fills your cup, you know? But he says, you know what? Studies found to be the most effective tool at moving people from languishing into flourishing what he called high-quality connections. Scholars love to make things sound fancier than they are. You know what high-quality connections really are? Having friends. That's it. Genius. Imagine this, right? They, they, they looked at 148 different studies over a 50-year time period and found that people who have friends are happier and healthier than those who don't. Are you surprised by that? right? All of the science and all of the psychology backs up what the Bible has already told us, and that's that it's not good for us to be alone. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Genesis 2 is before sin. I never noticed this. Genesis chapter 3 is where sin comes into play, right? If you start at the beginning of your Bible and you read Genesis 3 is when Adam and Eve sin and, and sin starts to have a rapid effect in this world. Genesis 2 is before sin. So that means that the first problem in the world wasn't sin. It was solitude. God put his finger on something that wasn't quite the way he wanted it to flourish and went about solving that problem even before sin. The problem is, is our sin, I think, is what keeps us there. Sin in our own life, sin in this world causes shame, and shame causes us to isolate. And now sin keeps us from the community that God designed us to flourish in. So here's my challenge to all of us who are languishing, and I'm not asking you to Raise your hand. Several of you did, but I think most of us are. If you're languishing, I have a challenge for you. And you guys have proven to me over the years to like a challenge. I like to make suggestions and stuff, and you're like, whatever, Mike. But when I say there's a challenge, you guys lean in, and you just, we're a bunch of aggressive people, apparently, at Mountain View. So here's my challenge to you be the friend you need. Be the friend you need. Don't wait for someone else to be that friend. You start being the friend that you need. If you want to move from surviving to thriving, if we as a church want to move from like, woo, we made it, we should celebrate, to actually like flourishing, we have to rediscover how to be friends with each other. Now, this is about as elementary as it gets, isn't it? You're like, I came to church for my pastor to tell me to be friends. It's like, a, it's like the pastor's patting you all on the head, you know. It just, I was like, Lord, really? Like, this is my sermon this week. This is terrible. Um, it's like, this is so weak. But 
I think, I think it's exactly what we need because everything that's happened over the last two years and all of the new people in our church and, and honestly, the forces of isolation that were already at play in our culture well before now has caused a lot of us to forget how to do this. We don't know how to be friends anymore. This didn't just happen with COVID. I know it's, I know it's really popular to like blame everything on COVID, you know, like, oh, COVID ain't my homework. You know, it's like, no, nah, you know, it's like... <laughs> I've said this a million times. You guys have heard me say this. I don't think COVID caused a lot of things. I think COVID revealed most things. And I think it revealed that we were already isolated people, bad at friendship. In fact, there were two surveys done. One was in 1985 and the other was in 2004. So in 1985, this group, they asked over a bunch of people. They said, over the last six months, with whom have you discussed matters important to you? So stuff that matters to you. How, with whom have you discussed that? And in 1985, the most common response was three people. 59% of the people surveyed could name three people that they had discussed something important to them, right? They could fight it in. So then the same uh, study was repeated in 2004. You know what the most common answer given in 2004 was? Zero. Now, that was 20 years ago. You think we've gotten better or worse at this? Is it, is it possible to have negative two friends? Is that, you think that's possible? <laughs> Maybe. And we laugh, you know, and it, it's kind of sad and funny all at the same time. My fear, though, is that what's true in the world in general is just as true as in God's church. That we can be friendly, like, oh, such a friendly church, but no one's actually friends. And we're just a giant lonely crowd because you can be a super alone in the middle of a crowded room. And we come to church and we sing the songs and we listen to my, and we do all these things and we go home lonely without anyone we could ever confide in if we needed to. How do we fix that? Right? Especially if this is part of human flourishing. And I think all of us would sign up for flourishing, whatever that looks like. We'd rather be there. How do, we, how do we go from there? And I think it's we have to take the initiative and we have to be the friend that we need. We have to step up and we have to decide we're going to be that kind of person in the life of someone else. We're going to be like Evelyn and we're going to be intentional and we're going to contribute to friendships. That's how you make friends like that. And I think there's three things that all of us want from a friend. And so I'm going to quickly go through these. If you want to write them down, I'll, I'll come back. But I think we all need friends who will listen up, show up, and open up, right? Listen up, open up, and show up. Okay, so number one, we all need friends who will listen up. Um, I did not want to put this one in my notes today because I am not a good listener. I am not a good listener uh, I actually told some people on Friday night, some friends of mine, that I was going to talk about this, and they were calling me out for being a bad listener. <laughs> They're like, yep, you have no room to talk. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, you're right. I, and my wife goes to our church. So she needs, I have to be honest. Uh, here's, here's my problem. When someone's talking to me, my brain is going. And rather than engaging actively in what's being said to me, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say when they finally stop talking. <laughs> Anybody else? I basically talk for a living. It's part of my job. And so I'm like, oh, I've got something to add. Okay. And, I, and then I'm not actually listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to my own thoughts and what I'm going to say. 
or I'm thinking about the next, next task. I, I'm a very task-oriented person. Some of us are more people-oriented. Some of us are more task-oriented. It's just the way God's wired us. I'm more task-oriented, which isn't great for a pastor. It should be people-oriented, right? So I'm always trying to juggle those things. And so I'm thinking, you're talking to me, and I'm thinking, okay, but what's the next thing I need to do? This isn't good. This is not a good way to have friends. It's really not. Right? James chapter 1, verse 19 says it should be the opposite. James 1, 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to what? You're listening. Good. All right. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I get this backwards too much. I'm quick to talk. I'm quick to type, slow to listen. What a gift we could give the world as Christians. What if, what if Mountain View Church became known as the people who are the best listeners in Marion County? I'm serious. Like a lot of times we think about evangelism or sharing our faith as like, well, I have to write out my testimony or I have to tell someone about Jesus. And you, you should, when you're given the opportunity, you should. But do you, do you know what doors would be open to Christians if we became the best listeners in society? Because no one else does this very well. They'd be like, man, those Christians are weird. They actually listen to you. I think there's an incredible opportunity in our world today if we would get this right to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We all want a friend like that, don't we? So we have to be that kind of friend if we want friends like that. So number one is listen up. Number two is open up, all right, open up. And the key word here would be vulnerability. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Um, not every person, by the way, not every person has to be your friend and not every friend has to be your best friend. And you shouldn't just share everything with everybody. That's weird, by the way. It's like, there is a thing called oversharing, too. Where it's like, why are you telling me that? We barely know each other. Uh, this happens on social media, too, right? Like, you see people share things, and you're like, you've got a thousand friends, and you just put that out there. That's not healthy either, right? I didn't need to see the scar from you. You know, that is like, bleh, Okay. But, but we all need at least like one, two people that we can be open with and we can share the good, the bad, the ugly. Like we can just be honest about where we're at and who we are and what we're going through. Everybody needs somebody like that. Now, this isn't easy. And I think there's lots of things that keep us from being vulnerable. Sometimes it's because we shared things with someone and they use it as a weapon against us. And so now we have walls and so we don't trust anybody and we're never gonna let anybody in again because that hurts. So again, if you want someone you can be vulnerable with, you need to be a trusted person that other people can be vulnerable with too. So that doesn't keep happening to people. But if I could, can I pick on the guys for just a little bit? Is that, ladies, are you okay if I pick on the guys a little bit? I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm, I am a guy, so I get the freedom to do this, you know? We're really bad at this. Not all guys. Some of you, it's like, you're, you're amazing. But most of us, man, a deep conversation in a, in a room full of guys is like, you catch that game last night? It's pretty good. Yeah. 
Hey, I think it's going to be like 52 degrees on Wednesday. Cool. All right, all right, see you next time. You know, like that's went deep, right? That's, we're, we're, not, we're not the greatest at, at peeling back the layer and sharing real stuff. And that's okay. And I think I understand why a little bit. I am one of you. But we've, we've got we've to gotta get over that a little bit, particularly in the church and in our small groups and stuff, guys. Like we, I mean, you, again, you don't have to bear your soul all the time to everybody. That would be un, inappropriate. But here's the truth. Your friendships will only be as deep as your vulnerability. And a lot of us struggle to be vulnerable, and then we also complain that we don't have any real friends. Well, those two things will always go hand in hand. You, you don't get either. Like, you, you, have to, you either have to open up or you stay lonely. It's your choice. And, and I know it's scary to open up, but it, if you only want surface-level friends, then just keep having surface-level conversations. That's fine. But you can't also complain that you don't have any deep friendships. See what I mean? It, it's, you got to pick a lane a little bit. But you were made for more than that. And, and I think deep down you want more than that. You may just not know how to get there. Right, so number one is listen up. Number two is open up. And then number three is show up. Show up. Um, this was Evelyn in the video. She's like, I'm going to get my driver's license back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my promise to Joyce. I told Joyce I was going to take her to the grocery store. And I know my kids don't think I should be driving and drag racing and all this stuff. I don't care. I'm going to get my license back. And she got it back. And then she takes Joyce to the grocery store, you know, and they just spend time together. They spend time together. There was a 2008 study done. It was at 8 million people. They, they found that the leading cause of lasting friendships was, get this, returning a phone call. People who stayed friends over the years, the number one factor was whether or not they returned a phone call. That was convicting to me this week. I could show you the voicemails in my phone that I've ignored for too long. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'll call them back, but I was just so busy, you know, I'm so busy, and you're busy, we're all busy, right? And so we don't answer the phone, we don't call them back. There are phone calls I need to make today. There's probably a phone call you need to make today. Oh, I'm just, I'm so busy. Here's the, here's the thing. The whole world shut down, right? We had a global pandemic. Businesses were closed. Your workplaces were closed. Schools were closed. Our church was closed. You couldn't go out anywhere. You had to stay inside, all these things. And I remember calling somebody and saying, hey, how are you doing? They're like, I'm just so busy. The world stopped. And we're like, I'm swamped. Maybe we have time for what we want to have time for. And if you're too busy for friends, you're too busy. Right? And, and so, who do you need to call back? Like, who, who, who do you need to return the call or, or the text to? Right, Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. For some reason, we read this verse and we think it's talking about Jesus. I don't know why I grew up being told that the one who sticks closer to brothers is Jesus. Proverbs has, no, like this verse has nothing to do with that. 
this verse is about you and me. This verse is about what kind of friend that we're going to be. Are we going to be an unreliable friend or are we going to be the one who sticks close? And which, which friend would you rather have? It's a pretty easy choice, right? I think all of us would go, I want the reliable friend. I want the one who will show up in my life when I need them. Well, if you want a reliable friend, then you have to be a reliable friend. It's a two-way street. Which means making time for friendship. It means returning the phone call, putting it on the calendar. <laughs> when people make plans, you put it on your calendar and you make it happen because they're a priority to you and you want to show up in their life. Right? That's the challenge. Be the friend you need. Now, if you thought this was elementary, it's about to get like kindergarten in here, okay? You were given a tool. There's a piece of paper on your, t- on your chair when you came in. If it's not on your chair, look next to you, look under. All it says is, hi, my name is, and here's my phone number. I want you to fill that out and give that to somebody this week. That's it. Now, if you are given someone's phone number, don't abuse it and don't be weird or no one's going to ever come back to my church, okay? In fact, if you're weird, don't give your number out. Just keep it, okay? But it, it could be someone in this building. It could be someone at work that you're like, I feel like I've always had kind of a connection or I've always wanted to know them better. And we've always said, hey, we're going to get, you know, how many people have you said, yeah, yes, we ought to. We ought to do that. We ought to get coffee. We ought to hang out. This is where the ought to becomes like, no, 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 put it on your calendar. Like, like give them your number and say, hey, this week, let's call each other and figure it out and hang out and talk. Right? Before you leave today, it could be somebody, and it doesn't, I'm not asking you to spend an hour on the phone or anything. It could be just a 10 minute conversation. Here's the cool thing about this. There's so many new people in our church. And I know, I know there's a bunch of people, you've met them once or twice and they've even told you their name and you've forgotten it. And now it's awkward. Right? I, this is me with all of you. Um, and so you're like, I don't want to ask them their name because I'm supposed to already know it. They told it to me like twice now and I feel bad. This is your get out of jail free card. Put your name on the card, swap the numbers, and give them a gift. Give them a gift of your time. This is, this is how friendship starts. Remember how to do that? Do you remember when your phones made phone calls? This is how you make friends. This is how friendship works. But you can't wait for other people to do this. You've, you've got to go first. Someone's got to go first. You've got to be the friend that you need. Okay, so let me pray for us, and then I've just got a few more things I want to share before we go. God, I, I've been wrestling all week with this, just feeling like, really? Like, this, this is what you want me to share? But I, I, I believe in my heart this is the key for our church right now to step out of our comfort zones, to get to know one another again, to get to know people for the first time maybe, and to not just be a friendly church, but be a church of friends. God, many of us are languishing, maybe most of us, and we feel alone. We need one another. We need community, which means we need need to be the friend that we need. 
So God, would you put maybe just a particular person on our heart? Maybe there's, even as we leave today, maybe there's just someone that, that we for a long time said, I, I kind of wanted to connect with that person or ask them their name or whatever. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, put the puzzle together? I, I don't know who needs to connect with who and who's gonna connect and click and who isn't. Or I, I'm just trusting you with this, God, that you would begin to form us into a church family. And we pray this in your name, amen. Now, before you go, there are a couple of programmed opportunities to be friends. Uh, That's what life groups are. That's what women's retreat is for. The Mixer event that's coming up, right, in a couple of weeks. The Mixer is basically for people who are newer to our church, and that's most of us. In the last year, if you're new to Mountain View, I'd love for you to sign up on our website and come to that Mixer. It's just for us to hang out and have lunch and just to help kind of build some relationships. I just, I don't want to program friendship, right? I don't, I don't want to have to do these things, but I just know that part of my role is to create environments where you can connect and you can know people. So if, if, if you're going to women's retreat, that's going to be awesome. If you didn't make it to women's retreat or it's already full, like jump into a women's life group or a group, you know, if, if that's come to the mixer, like do all of those things. But here, here's two things that I know about you. Number one, I know that you need friends even if you don't think you need friends because God made you for friendship. And the other thing I know about you is if you don't make friends, you won't make it at Mountain View. Again, this is the third version of Mountain View Church I've pastored. I've seen this before. Here's what happens. You like this church. The sermon was cool and the music and Shelly and the team were great. And boy, that wasn't, wasn't that exciting. And, and it doesn't smell here. It's kind of nice. And I hear they might be bringing back coffee soon. Like there's lots of great things happening. And so you're like, oh, I really like this place. But what happens is six months or a year from now, you kind of sit back and you go, yeah, but I'm just, I don't feel connected. I don't really know anybody. And so then you email me and you say, I, I like your church pastor, but I just don't feel like I know anybody. And I say, well, did you sign up for a life group? Well, no, I was busy. What, okay, that's fine. Well, did you, go to, did you go to the mixer thing that we've had a few times? Just never been able to make that work. Did, did you go to women's retreat? Did you go on men's retreat? No. I just, you know, I just don't feel connected. Interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about this not connection. Right? You will not stay at Mountain View if you don't make friends. Uh, and the, the flip side of that is you'll stay at really, really awful, terrible churches if you have friends. I'm serious. I, I know I have family members that when I go home, I go to their church, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I go to their church, and I'm like, man, I didn't understand a single thing that pastor just said. The lady playing piano is a mess that nobody can sing. Like, that hurt my ears this morning. And I asked my aunt, like, why can you help me understand why you like this church so much? And she's like, well, I, you know, I know it's not, but, but I have friends there and so-and-so goes there. And we've been going to there for 20 years together and we have coffee after service. And that, I mean, I go there because of the people, right? That's why we go to church. It's not for all this, it's for, it's for this. So make friends, because I like you and I want to see you a year from now. Sound good? All right, have a good week, guys. We'll see you next time.